I don't know about you, but for us and, and our church family, I think it's been a busy summer. After our renovation finished in May and we celebrated on Mother's Day, things really haven't stopped. We had our chamber ribbon cutting and then soon after was church camp and youth mission trip, the 4th of July, general, and general assembly, and you know, about 30 to 40 to 50,000 bike riders just came by and ate like 30 to 40,000 slices of pie. We went on vacations, and now the always awesome Iowa State Fair. It's been busy. There's a lot of things maybe on your to-do list you didn't quite get to, and this next week is shoved with all kinds of last-minute preparations as kids and grandkids go off to school before we know it. And in the midst of all of that, before all of that, Marty and I decided we would be preaching this summer with the back and forth and so much happening, we'd preach from the lectionary instead of doing a kind of scripted series. Our church tradition uses the revised common lectionary, this collection of texts that's been around in some form for, for hundreds of years, but it gives us about four scriptures every Sunday we can choose from, always one from the Old Testament, a psalm one from the Gospels, and then one from the rest of the New Testament. We decided to follow the lectionary and just hear what God may speak to us this summer. And as I said, it's been busy, and I'll be honest, I really hadn't read today's scripture until long after I had committed to it, and it was time to write a sermon on the scripture. And I guess that's my long, roundabout way for asking an uh, apology, for an excuse for today's scripture to say it's not my fault. I did not choose this text. This text was in the lectionary and it sort of chose us this morning because if it weren't for the lectionary, I don't think I'd ever preach Jeremiah 23. Really, I didn't really know there was a Jeremiah 23. It's a big book kind of stuck in the middle of the Old Testament Sometimes things get lost. Words spoken get forgotten. Besides that, it's a little confusing, even grammatically, what exactly is being said. It's unfamiliar, and it kind of seems a little bit judgy. We don't like judgy text around here. But that's, well, that's sort of the point of the lectionary. It's a way of forcing us to these unfamiliar corners of our faith tradition in hopes that maybe even here on the outskirts of our faith, we might, maybe, hear a word from the Lord. Now, hearing a word from the Lord, that's sort of the point of this text. That's what it's all about. And it's a question, it asks a question, really, who speaks the true word from the Lord and who does not? This word comes to us from the middle of that book of Jeremiah, one of Scripture's longest prophetic books. And just to be clear, prophecy for the ancient Hebrews wasn't so much about predicting the future as it was, well, God's God's prophets may have said this is going to happen, but not because they jumped into a DeLorean and saw it happen or God gave it to them in a dream and they had this vision of events as they would play out. But really it was more about uh, prophets or preachers, teachers, leaders who were perceptive, who knew how to walk around and see what was going on because they studied fervently God's word. Maybe they had heard a word from God or they were unsure if God was even speaking to them, but they could look around. They knew the faith tradition and they knew what was happening and they added it up and knew what was ahead. And so they often would speak judgment, not necessarily because they saw it play by play happen before it ever happened, 
but because they knew and they were honest about what they saw, what was inevitable, where the road they were on was going to lead. That's why when you read the prophets, Jeremiah included, you have over and over again words from the Lord that decry immorality and in particular injustice to the poor and the marginalized in the community. It's almost on every page of every prophetic book, which is most of our Bible over and over again. Words of judgment spoken against a community who are still worshiping God who may even declare that God is their Lord and they are, they're, they're fervent in their religious observances. But when it comes to the rest of their life, well, as the prophet Isaiah declares, they don't pay fair wages. And as the prophet Amos says, they sit around and they listen to music and they ignore the cries of the poor. As Jeremiah talks about, they care, they forget about the widows and the orphans. They ignore the foreigners and the migrants in their community, treating them as worthless. Most of our Old Testament prophets did their work around uh, this major event in the life of Israel, uh, Israelite history, the Babylonian exile, this moment when the nation of Babylon, this huge beast, as it's called in the Old Testament prophets, would come and invade Israel, force many to leave their homes and leaving those behind without any infrastructure or really hope for a life. Many lived as slaves or were permitted to have life in Babylon, but only under certain conditions. The temple that was the center of Jewish worship would be destroyed. Their homes, their towns, the capital city of Jerusalem decimated. It was a dark time for the Hebrew people. And the prophets in Scripture usually fall into three categories. Those who talk about that they're pre-exilic, those who talk about that it's going to happen. And they give clarity or, or they warn against the storm clouds that are gathering. Those who prophesy during the exile, they travel with the people to Babylon and they give these people without a home hope. And then those who prophesy after when they return to the land and they provide a little bit of reorientation. This is what life needs to be. Now that we are here back in the land, here's how to put our life back together. Jeremiah, though, is the unique one. He's a bridge prophet. He shows up right before the exile. He's there when it happens, and he's there when the people return. He sees it all, and Jeremiah is kind of known as a lonely prophet. He was told by God he believed that he should never marry. He should have no kids. He had no friends. I don't know if that was because of just his personality or just the kind of work he did. His own family persecuted him. He was locked up in stocks. These stories are in the book of Jeremiah. He was thrown into a hole and he still went around telling everyone every chance he'd get from the people on the street to the priests and the religious leaders to the political leaders and the kings that they had abandoned God and God was bringing judgment. He was known as the weeping prophet. It's not a name we really need to explain considering all he went through. There's another book in scripture that claims to be from Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, which name is sort of self-explanatory as well. It's an entire book of sad poetry written by the words of a weeping prophet who was there when Jerusalem was destroyed, who saw the temple decimated and wept and wrote about it. And it's in our Bible, but it didn't have to be this way for Jeremiah. Life did not have to be this dark. 
His situation was the result of the choices he made. See, he wasn't the only prophet in town. There were many prophets, others, and they had family and they had friends and they had positions of power and wealth and fame. Yet he was the only one who suffered. He was the only one thrown into the pit. The other prophets, too, they weren't false prophets of Baal. They were prophets of God. Or so they claimed. Thus says the Lord were the first words off of their lips. And they would say it with pride. But their message was very different than Jeremiah's. Oh, old Jeremiah. He's delusional, they would say, talking about pending doom. No, no, no. All is well. It's going to be okay. God wants you to be happy. To be wealthy, to be wise, live your best life. God wants you to multiply. This land is yours. These resources are yours. These people are yours. Use them for your own self-preservation and your gain. Enjoy what God has given you. The poor, well, they'll care for themselves. The migrants, well, maybe they should have made different choices and not come here in the first place. God has a dream for your life, and it's about blessing. Now, we don't have those words from the prophets preserved in our scripture. But what we have is texts like the one today. A lot of texts that decry false prophets, that give us their words, but do it from the mouths of God's true prophets. That's where our scripture comes in here in Jeremiah 23. It begins saying that, is God near or far? The word of God says God is not far off. God is nearby. Now, usually that's a word of hope. We've spoken that hope even today. But here, it's a bit of a warning, maybe even a threat from God. Am I far off so far that I don't know what's going on? Or am I near? Like the parents who tell the kids, I know what's going on. I'm not oblivious. I'm here. I hear what you're saying. I hear you calling my name. I'm so close. I can hear the words the moment they come from your mouth. I hear the prophets who say, I have dreamed, I have dreamed, God's given me a dream. I hear, I see. And you may be able to fool the masses, God says, but you can't fool me. God knows they speak lies. They speak in God's name, but their words are far from God. God compares them to their ancestors who worship false gods. In other words, to claim to speak a word from God, according to the Lord, is the equivalent of of worshiping a false God. No matter what you do in your worship or who you claim to worship, God says, that's not me. It's a difficult time to speak a true word from God. But God tells Jeremiah to continue to speak. Speak God's words faithfully. But we know it's not going to go easy because God's word, the text says, is like a fire. God's word is like a hammer. Now, remember, I didn't choose this text this morning, okay? So don't blame me. This text sort of chose us. And maybe there is a word here we need to hear. I'll be honest, it's easy for us preachers to kind of tell you what you want to hear. Maybe put out a survey. What would you like preach this Sunday? We can be soothsayers, speak of good things, dreams and hopes, love and prosperity. Speak a safe word because, well, after all... You may have noticed you kind of pay our salaries uh, and it's kind of hard for preachers to find a career any other way than this. Don't rock the boat, we're told. But our word 
from the Lord today? Well, it challenges all of us, not just those who would speak of God, but those who would listen to words spoken of God. It challenges us to speak and to listen carefully. It doesn't mean we should not ever speak of hope, give encouragement and help. Scripture is filled with those words, and that's a major task of the prophets. But God's word also, well, it has an edge to it, doesn't it? It is a hammer. It can be a fire. It challenges us and calls us to examine our way of life. If we are to take this word of the Lord seriously, it suggests that not everyone who claims to be speaking for the Lord is in fact doing so. So how do you know who's who and what's what? Now, a while back, Uh, This uh, last Lent, I had the chance to join some colleagues to teach a class for the Race Society at Drake, a continuing education program for senior adults. And our topic uh, was the history of racism in our church traditions. And I spoke about our tradition, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, or as it's kind of known broadly, the Stone Campbell Movement. And our tradition, well, it was one born on the American frontier in the early 1800s and, and on from there. It developed in various ways. It was West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. These were some of the major places where things were happening. And it came to to life, really, as things were leading towards the Civil War. That is to say, our founders, our earliest preachers and leaders of our movement, they could not avoid the issue of slavery. We were a church that lived right on that dividing line between North and South and on both sides of it. And it was a contentious Time. It was a hard time to speak a word of the Lord. And there were some in our movement, prominent preachers who advocated for abolition of slavery, and some who advocated for a more kinder, gentler slavery. Have slaves, but, but treat them nicely. And there were others who believed that, that Scripture condoned slavery and would preach from their pulpits, write in their journals that God says it's okay and the slavery we have God doesn't mind. Now, both Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, who were the two founders of our movement, they both owned slaves. They later freed them for different reasons. But there was one sobering truth I really was unprepared for. I'd gone to a lot of school and I've learned a lot about all of this. But it wasn't until preparing for this class, I was reading one particular book that kind of laid out the argument and that just frankly stated it really didn't matter. Which of our leaders it was, whether they were abolitionists or they were for uh, kinder slavery or they were pro-slavery, every single one of them, every one of them, the ones we now praise and those we don't praise, all of them believed that the white man was better than the black man. They said it. Alexander Campbell said it. Barton Stone said it. I abhor slavery, but I also believe that white people are superior. After all, that's how God created them. And they would make their arguments from Scripture. They would make them from science. They would write it in journals and speak it from pulpits. It was the assumed belief. Thus says the Lord. That doesn't mean we have to be mean to other people, but we are superior. And because of it, We should treat those less than us better. That's what they preached. And it was hard to swallow. What do you do? You throw everything you've ever known and believed of your early faith tradition out because they were flawed? It reminded me, it was sobering. It reminded me of how easily it is to be deceived. It's easy to look back 
and to say, well, they got it wrong. What were they thinking? When so many people believe something today we would say is so wrong, it reminds us how easy it is to think that when we are speaking or listening to the word of God, it may very well be a false word. Which brings us back to our question from earlier, how do you know? How can you tell? Is this dream, is this word from the Lord, is this prophet from the Lord, is what I hear from the Lord or not? Now, I dare not give you a definitive answer because, well, that's an easy way to fall into the same trap that our scripture warns us against today. But I think my cipher, my code, my clue is to to know really what is from God and what is not is from that thing that Marty talked about during the children's sermon, that ancient Hebrew word of the Lord, the Shema. It's the thing that all the prophets return to. It's what Jesus said when asked, what are the greatest commandments? He says, well, what did you learn as a kid? And the the lawyer said, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And what's the second, Jesus asked? Well, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, on those two things hinge all the law and the prophets. It is the lens through which you know if you're speaking of God or not, regardless of if your word is, if our word is near to God's or God is near to us or we are far from God's word and God seems far from us. Scripture tells us, Jeremiah tells us God is listening. And scripture tells us that God is speaking even in the midst of times when we feel God may not be. At times, the word of God may be one that soothes us one that brings hope in the midst of exile and direction when it's time to rebuild our lives. But sometimes that word is more like a hammer, a hammer that breaks through hard hearts, that cracks injustice to pieces. Sometimes the word of God is like a fire. Jeremiah says early in his book, the word of God is like a fire in my bones and I cannot help but speak it. And I kind of have the sense that that's not a good thing for Jeremiah. It's burning. He has to say it, whether he wants to or not. Sometimes it burns. It burns out oppression and injustice and indifference. It burns out those false words and burns forth that bright love of God, love of neighbor, love for all God created. Whatever word God needs to speak to us, may we be eager, always eager to hear. Because no matter what that word is, it's always a word that brings us closer to God and closer to those that God loves. May we always be as close to God's word as God is always close to us. Amen. And let us sing as we prepare to come to Christ's table. Number 422, let us talents and tongues employ.